So let's look in Romans chapter 4. And we're going to be starting again. We're going to be starting in verse 16 for context, but going through verse 21. Let's stand for the reading of God's word, if you will. Word of God said, this is why the promise is by faith, so that might be according to grace, to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all in God's sight. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. He considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also considered the deadness of Sarah's womb without weakening into faith. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promises but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, God was able to perform. May God bless the reading of his word in his house tonight. Seated in God's house. I've entitled this message, Hoping Against All Hope. Hoping Against All Hope. I want you to know that if you're going through what seems like a bleak circumstance in your life, what seems like a dim circumstance, and it looks like all hope is lost, that when we lose all hope is actually where God brings us to the point where we find hope in Him. So I hope this message speaks to you tonight whatever situation you're going through. What we want to understand at first is that based on Abraham's situation, when he was called at uh, 99 years of age, almost 100 years old, and told that he was going to be the father of many nations, that there was no hope for him in the natural realm. There was no hope for Abraham based upon his circumstances, based upon his life, based upon his marriage, based upon his, his uh, physical scenario. No hope, Brother Enoch. And hope is defined as expectation of what is sure. Expectation of what is sure. So what was there an expectation of for a 99-year-old man who had no children? (laughs) Not much. Not much expectation. And (laughs) there was not much to be certain of. So basically it's saying that in the midst of nothing that was certain, he found something to be certain about. We must understand the bleakness of his scenario. And we're going to understand that. He had nothing within to trust. No reason. No positives going on for his situation. And the promise which was there. He was not weakened even when he considered his own situation. This is what I want to display tonight. He was not weakened 
even though he saw the dimness of his own personal account. He was not weakened when he considered himself. He was not weakened when he considered his wife. And I've got to tell you, based on my personal opinion, that when you're 99, you're going to consider some things. That when you haven't thought about baby making in a dec- uh, half a decade, you're going to consider something. This is just my opinion. But let's talk about what he had to consider. What he had to consider was his own body. Because I imagine at the point God came to Abraham and said, you're going to be the father of many nations. He probably thought to himself, you know what? If I'm not a daddy by now, I probably never thought I was going to be a daddy. That was the consideration going in his mind. Being a daddy happened 50 years ago in my thought process. More than likely 70, 80 years ago in my thought process. I mean, they didn't go through, me personally, I dated my wife for seven years. I know that does happen in the Bible. But the normal process was, man, I find looking gal, and if you like it, go ahead and put a ring on it. You know what I'm saying? You go ahead and get hitched. Because there's work to do, there's farms to be farmed, there's animals to take and tend to. I need kids to help me out with this. Let's not stop playing around. No courtship. You look good. I look good. Let's make it happen. <laughs> so, but his own body was already considered dead. Now, this is amazing. Because the scripture says in verse 19, his own body was already considered to be dead. And it gives us these parentheses. Since he was about 100 years old. I like how that explanation had to be there. (laughs) Paul had to give that explanation. Well, why was he considered to be dead? Because if, if I'm reading this in Rome in the first century, and I'm not necessarily as familiar with Abraham, I'm going to want to know, why did he consider himself to be dead? Because he had been around for a century? That is a likely explanation. He was 100 years old, and the baby possibility was a long but distant memory. What do we mean that his body was considered to be dead? This is a good point, because we've seen through Abraham that everything that happens naturally to Abraham is a spiritual representation of what happens to the Christian. What does it mean that his body was considered to be dead? It means it no longer had the ability to produce life. This is where we meditate here for a moment. Abraham's body, because he was past the point of child rearing, was considered dead. No longer able to produce life from it. He considered it dead. God has not given me a son. A body has not been able to produce life. This was deadness. Now how does this translate to the Christian? In the supernatural. I want you to think back to the Adam and Eve story. And that God told Eve that on the day you eat from this forbidden fruit, you will surely die. We know that God told this to Eve. But the serpent went and said, no, you won't really die. You'll just be like God. A lot of people have asked the question, well, God made a promise. Adam and Eve ate the apple. Ate the fruit. I'm sorry, not the apple. Ate the fruit. 
did they die? And some people said, well, yes, eventually. But based upon this definition, spiritually, they became dead. Why? Because there was no longer the ability within their spirit for life to happen. They went from spiritual life to spiritual death because of the fruit. To them and to God, they were considered dead. I want you to see this. Once they ate that fruit, there was no longer the ability for life to happen spiritually. God considered them dead. Let me tell you what the reality is, folks. The reality is, whether you're here on earth or without Christ or in the lake of fire without Christ, spiritually you're dead. What happens in the lake of fire is an eternal reality of what people have presently without Christ. No life. And as Judy said, without God there's no hope. There's no existence. Only sorrow. Let me tell you what, for eternity, what would the lake of fire be? No hope. No existence. Only sorrow. No life. Heaven will be life for eternity. Hell will be death for eternity. So Abraham becomes a spiritual parallel of me and you. Abraham was dead in his body. You and I, before Christ, had no ability to produce life. The biblical standard for death is not whether or not you are breathing. It's whether or not life can be created. A lot of people are walking around breathing but dead. One of the biggest shows on TV, Walking Dead right now. I'm not going to get started on it. You might watch it every Sunday night. Praise God, you watch filth if you want. <laughs> See, that was funny because I said I wasn't going to talk about it, and then I did. See, that was irony. I've never seen it. Let me tell you, if you want to see The Walking Dead, all you got to do is go down to your local Walmart. You see a bunch of people walking around, breathing, living, living it up. Got my kicks on, dubs on the car. Got my fresh hat. Dead. Spiritually dead. (laughs) Adam, after the garden, no longer had the spiritual ability to produce. It hasn't got good yet, I'm going to tell you what. (laughs) Let me just tell you. Adam no longer had the spiritual ability to produce life. What happened to Abraham in the flesh is a picture of what happens to us. When God came and said, you'll be the father, don't you think he considered how in the world is this possible? How can life come out of something that has no ability to produce life? And maybe... The same question should be true whenever a pastor or an evangelist told you that you can be saved. Because you should have considered your condition. You should have considered the fact that you are dead in spirit. How can I have a relationship with God? How can I be part of something that's living when I'm dead? See, this is why preachers that spend time on the the good points about the gospel... And don't spend enough time on the reality of our depravity before God. Then we, go, we grow up having a shallow Christianity. 
Because if God only had to save this much of me, then this is how I'm going to view my salvation. You see, but if God saved this much of me, I was completely separated, completely apart from God on my way to hell. Now I see a great big God instead of a little God of self-improvement. A lot of Christians today think God's more like Dr. Phil than he is one who calls forth from existence things that are dead. God doesn't improve us. He completely rearranges us. He changes us. Matter of fact, he destroys what was there and builds up something new. You may have asked this question, how can God use me for his kingdom? I'm full of sin. I'm riddled with mistakes. This is not something that I can do, but rather in faith. You believe not in yourself, but you believed in God. And you believe if God said in John 3, 16, that all who call on him, that, that there is, is available through what Christ did, salvation, you believed in God instead of yourself. And it was credited righteousness. You see... As it was already said in verse 17, God gives life to the dead and calls those things which were not as though they are. God called Abraham a father even though he wasn't. And God calls you righteous even though you're not. Go meditate on that tonight. Abraham never had a child in his life and God said, you're a father. Let me tell you what, you've never done anything spiritual in your life. And God said, you are righteous. The day you walked away from the altar or from the, the, uh, the counseling room or, or it could have been your bedroom where you trusted in Christ, that day you had never done something spiritual in your life, but you were righteous through faith. God accounts it. God accounts our belief as righteousness. So <laughs> it was all about him believing in God. Our question should be, do we believe God? Is our relationship based on God or us because if it's based on us you're going to have a sorry Christianity if it's based on you you're going to have a depressing Christianity let me tell you what friends I believe in a good news gospel I believe that once you really see the gospel and let me tell you once you spend enough time on the bad news then the good news becomes a whole lot better The good news becomes great news. It becomes ridiculous, awesome news. I can't believe it news. Why is there so many, so little people sharing the gospel today? It's because they haven't seen it as good news. When we see it as good news, then we'll be compelled to share it. So not only did he consider his own body, but he also considered the deadness of Sarah's womb. It says in Romans, he considered his own body to be dead and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He was dead, she was dead. He was thinking about it like it is. You know, there comes a point after you've been married for a while that you start being honest with and about your spouse. The first years of marriage, they, you may say that every meal is delicious. Oh, honey, that was so good. But you know, after 10 years, you don't mind saying, you think this needs a little salt? (laughs) You know, when she walks in and says, honey, do these pants make me look fat? And you say, it's not the pants, honey. (laughs) See, there is a point where you get honest about the reality of your relationship with each other. Men, do not use that and blame me about it. 
When the scripture says he considers the deadness of his wife's womb, I'm sure that they have had the conversations about both of them being past their prime. Let's be conservative and say they got married at 30. You know, for the first 10 years when you're married, you're excited about trying about kids, and you say things like, oh, uh, do you have kids? Uh, do you have any children? Oh, we're waiting. We're planning. And then you get into the phase where you're trying. Do you have children? We're trying. We all know what that means. So for the first 10 years, you're excited about trying for kids. Maybe by the time they're Abraham and Sarah are, uh, back that time, Abram and Sarai, they're excited about trying. And once you hit 40, you start to think, well, if God wants to bless us, he will. It's up to God. Once you hit 50, you start thinking, well, God better hurry things up because we're not getting any younger. At 60 and 70, I imagine the thought of childbearing becomes a humorous joke. You know, it's still possible. Yeah, anything's possible, right? But when 80 and 90 rolled around, I wonder... If by that point they haven't talked about children for about a quarter of a century. It was a long, distant memory. I want you to look at Genesis 18. I'll show you something cool about my Bible. It has two ribbon markers. This is like a Ferrari in preacher talk. Genesis 18, 11. So the Lord comes to Abram, Abraham, an angel of the Lord. In 18, verse 9, the Lord says, where's your wife, Sarah? They're in the tent, Abraham says. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself. (laughs) Literally, an angel of the Lord bears a message. The scripture says the Lord says this. The Lord says you'll have a son, and she laughs at the Lord. You know how maybe your daddy gave really good whoopings but your mama really didn't. And your mama said, I'm going to tear your butt up. And you laughed at her. <laughs> I'm sorry, mama. The Lord had brought a message and she literally laughed at the Lord. This is pretty serious. And the Lord asked Abraham, why did your wife laugh at me? Why did Sarah laugh saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you. In about a year, she will have a son. Sarah said, I did not laugh. She said that because she was afraid. But the Lord replied, no, you did laugh. You see, this is where, in my case... The commentary comes in handy with the reality check. Because when it says, 
In Genesis 18, 11, the scripture says, uh, Sarah had passed the age of childbearing in my translation. My commentary says, the manner of a woman had ceased to be with her. I love commentary. Because you're like wondering what this means and the commentary jumps right in there. The manner of the woman had ceased being with her. This means that many years ago she stopped having her monthly cycle. That the manner of a woman had stopped years ago. In her mind, this was a long distant thought. I haven't even been to the point where it was possible. Much less thought about it. And she laughed at God. This was how far about the reality of what God said hit both of them. So when the scripture says that even though he considered these things, but his faith was not shaken, this should tell us something powerful. That from the fleshly considerations, this was impossible. Doesn't it make the story more about God's ability when we see that, yes, Abraham did consider this, but his confidence rested not in the natural realm. His confidence rested in the supernatural. His confidence rested in God. We can see clearly through the pattern of evidence that he was considered dead and her womb was considered dead. But through all that, his faith was not shaken. Even in no hope, this is why it says he hoped against hope. There was no, no evidence and he hoped. Man, this is... Sh- encouraging, inspiring, I don't know what to call it. There was no hope, but he still believed. How many of us are gotten to the point where there was no hope and we wanted to give up because it looks like God's not doing anything? Let me tell you what, we don't know what God's doing based on the looks of something. Our confidence rests not in the natural, not in what we see. It rests in God's ability. It rests in God's sovereignty. It rests in God's omnipotence. Hope means the expectation of what is sure. And what was sure was that there was going to be no child. But when he hoped against hope, it means he gave greater consideration to the supernatural. Here's what I want you to know today. That faith is consideration of something better. Faith is consideration of something greater. You see, you're going to consider your circumstances in life. You're going to come to the point in your own marriage where based on the natural, it looks like it's time to give up. But let me tell you what, don't put your consideration in the natural. Put your consideration in the supernatural. This happens in every area of our life. When I served with my pastor in Greensboro, he told me he wanted to quit every single week. He told me he quit four times on the way to church that morning. And you're going to want that in every situation. It could be your job. It could be your family. It could be dealing with your children. There is no hope but stop looking at the natural. Start looking at God. Faith is giving greater consideration to the supernatural. There was no hope in the natural realm. But there was hope in the supernatural realm. Look at Romans verse 20. 
Romans chapter 4, verse 20. It says, he did not waver in his unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith. Strengthened in his faith. That literally what was happening, God speaking, started strengthening him. The opposite of unbelief means more belief. That because he started hearing God utter something, he started saying, God is declaring a promise to me, and if God's going to say it, God's going to do it. And then it increased his faith. In order for you to have faith, that faith has to be based on reason. There is a a bad heresy in the Christian church that faith is not based on evidence. And even the atheists attacked us that say, well, well, you have faith, but I have science. Tell me how science works on your wedding day. Does the justice of the clerk get up there and dictate to you science? Or do you declare something to your spouse greater than science? Where is science then? Where is science when a little child gets hurt and your heart is ripped out? Where is science? Is it not something greater? You see, faith is based on evidence, my friend. Faith is based on reason. If you're trusting God with your soul, I hope you got a reason. And there's so many Christians that are trusting without reason. Yes, the scripture says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Did Abraham see anything? No. He looked in a mirror, he saw himself. Man, that's not reason. Yes, this means that our evidence is based on what is unseen. The knowledge of God. That's why the scripture tells us faith is knowing what you hope for. If my wife calls me and says, honey, I'm going to send you $100. I haven't seen anything, but I believe in my faith because my faith is based on a relationship. Faith is based on something. His faith was based in God. The faith which is based in God and from God and of God is clearly based on his divine attributes, his omnipotence, that he literally can do all things. This is why his faith was increased. When God said, I'm going to do something, he started getting a little bit excited. When's the last time you got so excited about what God was doing that you couldn't wait to tell somebody? And instead of going and picking up the phone and telling them the bad things about happening in church, how about you go pick up the phone and tell a neighbor about the good thing that happened in church? We got a culture now that likes to talk about the bad stuff. You know why? Because you ain't excited about God. When you get excited about God, you won't even see the bad stuff. When you see what God's doing, the bad stuff won't even matter. And you can't wait to talk about it. It increases the faith. I heard today that worry is based on the belief that God cannot do something. Think about that. In your life, worry is based on the belief that God cannot do something. Mm. Is that offensive to God? Or was it offensive when Sarah laughed? I wonder if God literally could not understand that. Why did she laugh at me? Think about this. 
Maybe God had no idea. I'm not saying that, that God's not omnipotent, but maybe it shocked God so much that she laughed. He had to ask the question. And he even gives the explanation, Genesis 18. Can the Lord not do anything? But Sarah did not believe this, so she laughed. All of our fears, all of our worry, all of our anxiety is based on a belief that God will not or cannot or is not able to do something. Worry is the opposite of faith. Matter of fact, worry is given consideration to the natural. Let's put it like that. What we can say is when Abraham heard God, he did not worry. That's pretty good. I like that. Because he did not spend too much time considering the natural. Yes, you're going to have natural circumstances in your life. Yes, you're going to have problems with people. But if you spend time giving consideration to that, it leads to worry. What Abraham did was he spent the most of his time considering God. And it leads to faith. So faith is better consideration and worry is lesser consideration. Does that make sense? If God can do something, we should have faith that he can Listen to me. If God can do something, we should have faith that he can. If he can heal me, I should have faith that he can. If God can do something, we should have faith that he can. And if he doesn't do it, we should have faith that he didn't want to. We need to understand this. If God didn't do it, it's because he didn't want to. Stop asking why. Why did God let this happen to me? Why did God do it? You're giving consideration to the natural. Start giving consideration to God and say, He's so powerful, He can work through the worst situation in my life. 